Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop war games, and tabletop role-playing games. And today, we're a podcast about spooky, scary, cosmic horrors from beyond time and space that drive you insane. Yay! Ooh. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host. My name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. Uh, I've got no pithy joke for cosmic horror. Well, isn't that the real cosmic horror? The friends that were driven insane along the way? That or the racism. Could be the racism. So today we're going to get into sort of cosmic horror and its origin with H.P. Lovecraft and all the role-playing games, board games, card games, and war games that have come out for it. And what's cool about those and which ones are interesting and which ones are not so interesting, but we still want to talk about them anyways. The takeaway is that public domain is a good thing. Public domain is fantastic. Also, Lovecraft, as problematic and racist as he was, had a really weird and interesting life. And yeah, just yeah. Anyone who ghostwrites stories for Houdini gets a certain level of, like, what the hell was going on with your life? Lots of drugs and Um, maybe stomach cancer. I don't know. Yes, actually, that's what he died of. Uh, But before we get into that, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we've done in the last week. I have done zero painting and zero board games, but I did get two role-playing game sessions in. Uh, In the first one, my Eberron group finished the dungeon, came back to the surface, and realized that the succubus that they had met earlier stole their airship. Get wrecked! Yeah, so they had to track her down. Uh, Luckily for them, they had a compass that pointed to the ship. It was something they had acquired several sessions earlier, uh, back when they first got the ship. Um, So it sort of guided them to where they were going. They had a brief stop at some ruins run by the Prince of Bones, an Eberron character who is a like powerful war troll sworn to service of some hags and they bartered with him to get some mounts so that they could actually catch up to the ship which worked out they were able to acquire some griffins and then got to the ship to find that the succubus had recruited a new crew primarily composed of orcs and a new first mate who was a rakshasa uh they fought these determined that, in fact, they would not win against the Rakshasa, but managed to kill the Succubus. And then the Rakshasa was like, I'll be back for you later. And bamfed away. When you said hired a new crew, for some reason I was expecting you to say a new crew of strippers because Succubus. No, she was trying to become a pirate, so she, you know, ensorcelled a bunch of orcs to serve her. Um... She was, uh, yeah, she also, like, took all of their clothing and stuff and had it retailored to fit her, so they're angry about that. (laughs) They had spent a bunch of money on, like, fancy clothes when they got the ship, you know, to make them look better. And she had been in the process of getting it retailored and was wearing some of it when they killed her. It's mine now. So, yeah, they're going to have to buy new clothes for that. They were somewhat upset, although that worked out pretty nicely. Uh, then they are working out what to do next. They're going to go talk to some druids. They've got to figure out, they've got some plans. They want to kill the patron of the warlock. 
who is an archfey, and they have a few different things that they might run into. My other group delved into a dungeon, a series of underwater caves that were home to an aboleth previously. They had killed the aboleth and were exploring its lair. In there, they found, firstly, a group of Kuatoa, the fish people, who um, are kind of like 40k orcs where if they believe in something hard enough, it becomes true, and so they turn things into gods. Um... They had previously been worshipping the Aboleth, and now with it dead, they were in search of a new god. Um, the players were having a hard time communicating with them underwater because, you know, the players had potions of water breathing, but that's not potions of water communication. And the Kuatoa were basically speaking in a series of complicated glubs. Uh, but they used the... An eye patch that they had found with like a golden embroidered kraken on it to try and, you know, show off to the Kuatoa who determined that the eye patch was their new god. It was the symbol of the <laughs> golden kraken. Um, and then they were going to go and proselytize and murder everyone in the local town as a blood offering to the new god. Oh boy. Which the party, once they had cast Comprehend Language, learned about and decided that they had to fight the Kuatoa. Except oh no, the, we started a genocide. Except for the barbarian who had a swim speed due to an item he was using and had gone further ahead into this dark, murky cave and missed the start of the fight. Bro. And in fact, missed the entire fight as he was busy exploring a crashed submarine in the next cave. Um, Which meant that the rest of the party, the artificer, the... um cleric and the ranger yes artificer cleric ranger were fighting a swarm of fishmen the cleric went down and almost died uh the ranger was pretty severely beaten up even the artificer was hurting at the end of it uh just because there were a lot of fishmen and they surrounded and were just pummeling on the players um and they were rolling hot, too. There were a surprising number of critical hits coming in off of this. Um, and without the Barbarian to thin out the numbers, they were really getting stuck with that. They did were eventually they, uh... manage to kill all the fish people and save the town. And then the Barbarian, uh, having realized that there was a combat going on, uh, hastily made it look like he was fighting the corpses that were in the submarine. <laughs> So that when the party showed up, he appeared to have been doing some actual combat. Were they red-bellied fish people? They were not. It was not a red herring. Oh. They were just fish people. Um, the submarine contained a few items, you know, information on what had happened to it. It was a war project left over. It was a project left over from the war that had been lost, presumably due to the Aboleth. Um... And also it had what they thought was a bag of holding. Uh, they started leaving the cave. They found a little opening to a, another little tiny cave with a weird pillar in the center of it. Um, they quickly determined as their magic lantern went out when they entered the room and then some other stuff happened that this, in fact, was an anti-magic zone pillar. Nice. They chose not to investigate that further. 
probably a good call because if the Warforged had touched it, he would have shut down. Um, Anti-magic plus construct people is a weird combination. Uh, getting back to the surface, they climbed out, they opened up the bag of holding that they had found, and the ranger reached in to see what was inside it and was promptly swallowed by the bag of devouring. <laughs> Thing style. Oops. Uh, the party rushed to try and get him out and decided to turn the bag inside out, which is weird because if you do that, it seals the connection to the extra-dimensional being that is the bag of devouring. And what that means for stuff that it's in the process of devouring is an open question. Whoopsie daisy. So I gave the ranger a chance to make a dexterity saving throw to escape, which he handily passed by being a ranger. Otherwise, he would have just been gone. Because if you... An inglorious end. Yeah, and uh, just eaten by a bag. Uh, after they pulled him out, they, like, stabbed the bag a few times to make sure it couldn't like, link up again. And then they left it there. Uh, or or threw it into the ocean, note. maybe? Yeah, they just were They were done. They were like, okay, cool, we're make, cutting holes in this and we're throwing it back into the ocean. We don't want anything to do with this. Um, just, don't, just don't go into the ocean. Yeah, just stay out of the ocean. And that was my weekend hobby. Ed, what have you done? Uh, not a whole lot. I'm still traveling a lot for work. However, that does mean, though, that if I pass by interesting comic stores or game stores that I used to go to in the past, I get to do that. So I stopped by a place called Pegasus Bookstore, which is a uh, local-ish comic and bookstore in the Cascade area that uh, also does some board game stuff. Apparently not as much as they used to. Uh, but they're one of those places that will, like, collect junk and it just never gets sold because it's just sitting in a hoard. And they had a copy of Zombies 11 Death Incorporated uh, from the Zombies game system that I got. And the uh, cashier there, she was very excited to see that somebody was finally buying it and that it was going to a good home. And we talked for quite a bit about the Zombies board game. And I don't think I've... I don't think I've met anybody else who is as enthusiastic and excited about the board game, uh, Zombies. Actually, no, wait, that's a lie. My uh, my boss in college, he was a, a huge fan of it. He saw it on my dorm room shelf and, like, freaked out. He was he was excited about that. Um, but I have, I think now, most of the Zombies collection. There's a couple of extraneous expansions that I don't have yet. Uh, one of them is the Space Station one that we talked about last week, which is just bad and probably not even worth getting. Uh, there's one for a zoo, uh, and I think another one for a university that I don't have. This one is a zombie outbreak in a uh, office building, and you have to go kill the CEO of your former company. And it comes with a nice uh, zombie office worker miniatures that have a coffee cup that says I heart zombies on it with a little hand in it. I like it. Um, I like it. The workers must rise up and kill the CEO. Oh, he's a zombie. Yep. Um, Who killed zombie Flanders. Else? He's a zombie. 
Yeah, I like the I like the art for the CEO. He looks like a like a Texas oil tycoon, but he's a uh, zombified and he has a a golf club driven through his chest. Um, let's see what else. I haven't really done a whole lot other than that. Uh, I finally gave in and got a copy of the second season edition of Blood Bowl. Uh, for the last like three years, I've been telling myself, "Oh, I don't, I don't need." I don't need to upgrade my Blood Bowl, and if I want to play Blood Bowl, I can play it online. That's perfectly fine. Um, but maybe with a hypothetical end to the pandemic in 2023, uh, I can go to uh, our local game tournament where they one of the things I do is Blood Bowl, and I'd like to actually compete in that uh, and absolutely get thrashed by a halfling team or something like that. Uh, so I did that, um, and as we're speaking, I'm putting the finishing touches on my Space Dwarf uh, sci-fi team that I 3D printed. I started this project, I think, in May, if I can remember correctly, and now it's almost entirely done. Uh, trying, to trying to decide how much fiddling I want to do with extra detail. Um, yeah. So either, either gonna fiddle with it some more or just be like, nope, it's done. It is what it is. And what it is is a uh, finished project in a reasonable amount of time. My Frostgrave team is of similar size and that took me about two years to finish in its entirety. So making some progress on speeding things up. Yeah, speed painting is a good a good thing. Um, if you want to know more about speed painting, check out uh, Ninjon on YouTube. He, I think, almost exclusively does speed painting, and it's it's nuts what he can do in a short amount of time. So, yeah, speed painting, it's good, and the more you do it, the better your speed paint stuff looks, and then you just get even faster at it. Yeah, so Hooray. that's been the weekend hobby. Now let's discuss the last eighty-five years in horror. My brain. So cosmic horror. What is cosmic horror? Generally uh, speaking, cosmic horror a, is scary. It's aliens that want to eat your brain instead of your body. It, it's not explicitly that. Um, it is the cold depths of the uncaring universe. That's better, yes. So, cosmic horror, as exemplified by the Cthulhu mythos, most of the stuff we're going to talk about is based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, is essentially the notion that the universe is big and scary and does not care for humans, and that there are things out there that can just destroy us. Um, it that there was, you know, that knowledge is scary, that the other is scary, that the universe is scary, and that you should just curl up in a little ball and hide. I mean, sounds sounds pretty reactionary to me. <laughs> Shots fired. I mean, it. Lovecraft's life was a series of terrible events, basically. With that a, it was. With a few weird exceptions where, like, he got married and actually enjoyed with his wife until her business collapsed. 
or he became close friends with Robert E. Howard, the author of Conan the Barbarian. Um, and that went well right up until Howard, uh, Robert Howard committed suicide. Um, and then a couple years later, Lovecraft found out he had cancer and died. It I was... want a Cthulhu Conan the Barbarian crossover now. Um, I mean, the Conan the Barbarian's mythology is a little bit Lovecraftian when you start to look at what, like the before eras. Uh, yeah, the, the, like Time before with Hyboria and Lemuria and a lot of the stuff that gets talked about in the background of Conan the Barbarian. Um, if you start to look at it, because they were friends and they incorporated, and uh, Howard incorporated some Lovecraft stuff in there, it kind of is. It's just that yeah. he doesn't give a. Sh it's just that you know Conan the Barbarian don't don't give a shit. Conan, he's gonna smack Cthulhu with an axe, and that'll be the end of it. Yeah, well, see, he's the Lovecraftian. <laughs> archetype character who just doesn't is unaffected by it uh similar to the ship captain in call of Cth in the story call of cthulhu who rams cthulhu with a boat and doesn't give a fuck your mind tricks don't work on me yeah the, i think he's a swedish ship captain who like his ship gets taken over by cultists and brought to where cthulhu is rising from the ocean and the cultists all go insane and die and the ship captain's like uh why is there a giant squid monster rising from the ocean Fuck it. Ramming speed. <laughs> and just takes him out. Remember, Cthulhu's primary weakness is boats. Um, Good to know. He has damage resistance to all weapons except for boats. Um, but yeah. So, Cosmic Horror has a number of themes. Uh, primarily the sort of uncaring universe, the monsters that are hard to understand, oftentimes represented by tentacles because um, some people don't like calamari. Uh, there's also some stuff about, you know, dreams and psychics and magic and, you know, lost knowledge and, you know, making deals with beings from other universes. Some uh, weird, like, there's some weird race, racial stuff and sort of, I guess. Sometimes there's just rats in your walls and they drive you insane. Sometimes there's rats in the walls that drive you insane. I was referring to The Shadow Over Innsmouth, which has some oh, weird yeah. racial, like, race-mixing stuff that's... I mean, when it comes to Lovecraft and racism, the entire thing is going to like, oh boy. Yeah, oh boy indeed. Um, weirdly enough, Lovecraft was a New Deal Democrat who, who, who really supported Roosevelt. Um, Weird. I guess towards the end of his life, he was not as interested. He, he kind of eased off on the racism. Although he also once wrote a story about basically how terrifying it was to have black people as neighbors. So, uh, which one is that? Uh, da, 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 the horror at Red Hook. Yeah, that's that's it. I was like, I remember, I remember this story, but I don't remember the name. I mean, in in part, that was that happened after he was living in Red Hook and his apartment got burgled. Um, that dude was weird, but <laughs> you can separate the author from their work, especially when the author has been dead for eighty five years. 
Yeah, I um, mean, how much influence does H.P. Lovecraft and his, like, original vision of these horrific concepts even really have anymore now that it's public domain and there's so many people with their hands on it that it's like how much do you attribute directly to Lovecraft versus what pop culture has done with it since yeah um and I would say that a lot of his works are worth reading just he has a very particular style and he does some interesting stuff with it and you know it's worth a read just remember that he he's problematic and yep. at the same time you don't have to give a shit about him because he's been dead for 85 years and it's not like his estate made any money off of him. In nope. fact, he barely made any money off of the stuff that he wrote. So you're not really supporting a racist or anything. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of discourse lately about whether uh, reading and or purchasing merch from a specific fantasy uh, universe directly supports its author and whether or not you can still enjoy said product. Uh, with Lovecraft, you don't have to worry about that because Lovecraft doesn't have an estate. Um, so yeah, no worries about doing that with Lovecraft. Uh, just remember that don't be racist and yeah, yeah, and just enjoy it. So that's Cosmic Horror. That's Lovecraft, and Lovecraft and Cosmic Horror has been a big part of role playing games, nerd culture, board games since about the eighties, specifically. Since 1981, when Call of Cthulhu was first published. It's a classic role-playing game, a landmark in the genre, and is, I would say, one of the core sources of Lovecraftian mythology and nerd culture, because so much has spun off of it. Uh, it is a role-playing game in which people, you know, take you take the role of ordinary people drawn into the mysterious forced or compelled to investigate some form of eldritch horror uh the game is originally set in like the 1920s new england where you're kind of doing the same sort of things that were written about in lovecraft stories but there are add-ons and modules to set it in other times and places it's currently in its seventh edition um Damn. it's very popular it is i believe the most popular role-playing game in japan uh, it's huh. been published in, like, more than a dozen languages. It's, uh, yeah, it's a successful role-playing game. Is one of the top... It's one of the top-tier games that is mentioned in the same breath as Dungeons & Dragons. It doesn't Who's have... Who's the current publisher for it? I believe Chaosium hmm. uh, is the long-standing publisher for it. They... It, their company has undergone some changes in the last few years, but they are, like, they swapped out who was running it, but it is still published by Chaosium. Because um, I know there was a, there was another company that was producing a Cthulhu, or at least Cthulhu-like game, that they had, uh, they had some nuance around the issue of mental illness, which maybe will come up later in our discussion but I couldn't remember if it was them or if it was another company. I don't think Call of Cthulhu has much nuance about mental health because Call of Cthulhu is the origin of the sanity score, which is a numerical depiction of how close your character is to going insane or becoming mad and, like, losing the game, essentially. Uh... Making sanity checks is a core component of the game. It's This is where that 
comes from. Call of Cthulhu. Uh, mechanically, it's based on a D100 system. Players attempt to roll under whatever the rank of their skill is to accomplish tasks. It's quite straightforward. Um, and you can... Do they at least produce a, a branded D100 for the purpose? I want a gigantic die. I'm pretty sure most people just use percentiles. Like it, Lame. it's fairly straightforward. You just try and roll a you roll a die, and if you get below what your skill in that roll is, you succeed on the task. Um, but Call of Cthulhu has spun off plenty of other games, and we're going to talk about one of those, which is Delta Green. Which I haven't is heard a of that one. Successful um, Call of Cthulhu spinoff where instead of being an ordinary person drawn into the mysterious, forced to investigate stuff, you are a government agent of some sort who investigated something that was related to the Lovecraftian mythos and got pulled into the secretive government agency known as Delta Green, which was founded during the Vietnam War and uh, investigates elder tours. Getting big XCOM vibes on that. It's basically X-Files... Plus Cosmic Horror. Uh, it combines Cosmic Horror and Conspiracy Fiction. Um, I'm on board. So, Del- Terrorists can be cultists too. In fact, one of the more recent modules for the game took place during the Syrian Civil War, where you go in and investigate what the hell ISIS is doing, and if they are summoning terrifying elder beings from beyond. Uh, uh, interesting and topical, but also... Yeah, maybe kind of a dicey area to go into. I mean, the game has... Delta Green has always been somewhat dicey. You work for a government agency that was founded during the Vietnam War. Like, the, it being dicey is a core component of the game. The player... Characters are not expected to, like, retire happily at the end of it. You're expected to have serious, deep-rooted mental trauma and probably either commit suicide or be silenced by your superiors via, you know, falling down a stair, falling down an elevator shaft onto some bullets. Nobody ever has a happy ending in a Lovecraft story. Uh, Generally not, yeah. And Delta Green, just because it adds that conspiracy uh, fiction, makes it even kind of darker and more more, um, crushing from a bureaucratic standpoint. It uses the same... You got pencil pushed to death. Yeah, it uses the same general system as Call of Cthulhu, although it adds some skills and, like, streamlines combat a bit, because combat should be very quick and deadly if you're using, like, special forces people with machine guns to deal with your monsters. Either they kill the monsters instantly, or the monsters rip them apart because bullets don't work on whatever you're shooting at. Oh no. We need mind bullets for the mind monsters. Sure, or the Hounds of Tindalos, which are time-traveling monsters. You know, bullets are not going to work on a time-traveling dog. Probably not. Also, they're not really dogs, it's just a name. Whatever. So let's get on to another one. Cthulhu Tech. Cthulhu Tech is... Haven't heard of that one. Sci-fi, cyberpunk, cosmic horror with a mecha feel. Uh, the elder cool. beings from beyond the stars, the Migo, have returned, and they wish to invade Earth. Uh, elder war machines, people wearing, like, Lovecraftian biotech combat armor, uh, cyberpunk conspiracies, 
cultists trying to summon stuff back. Uh, originally published in 2007, it uses a like customized D10 dice pool system and is currently in the process of playtesting a second edition. I think it's interesting, and in part because it draws on a lot of like anime stuff, as and like crosses that with the Eldritch Horror Abomination things. Uh, there's a good chunk of like Robotech in there, and some Neon Genesis Evangelion, as well. Um, I mean that that one just on its own is kind of Cthulhu-ish, anyway. Yes, yes, it is. Um, so there's a lot of places you can go with it. I haven't really read deeply into the source books. I think with se the second edition, it might be a good time to jump in. Um, I think it's an interesting choice if you want a very distinct setting. Uh, because that's what it really is. That's the real selling point, is the incredibly distinct setting. And the last role-playing game that we're going to talk about is De Profundus. Which is... a uh, Different type of role-playing game. It is a correspondence-based co-op storytelling game. Interesting. Players take the role of investigators or conspiracy theorists or agents or whatever and write letters or emails back and forth, essentially passing notes talking about what they're doing and how they're doing it and building this story as a group rather than having a single storyteller and each player working within it. Um... Hey, sorry, can we yes. pause for another second? Now. Um, no, Deep Profundus. Uh, so it's a letter-writing co-op RPG. It's probably... There are a few different ones. This is probably something we should do a whole episode about at some point. Um, they're different from traditional RPGs. It's, uh, it's a topic I don't know a whole lot about, but essentially there is a Lovecraft one. And yeah, people seem to like it. There's got some really good reviews. Um, I assume it has guidance on how you should write these letters and like what topics and how that takes rather than just, you know, saying write letters back and forth about this topic. Honestly, it reminds me of one of the ones that I brought up in the episode about queer gaming where it's you're writing letters back and forth and depending on uh, like what roles you get in such in game, it influences, you know, who does or does not see your writings. Yeah, there's probably something like that going on. I, Again, we should probably do an episode on letter-writing co-op RPGs. That's a topic worth touching on. But moving away from RPGs, board games. Woo! There are a lot of Lovecraft-inspired board games, a lot of cosmic horror going on. So let's start with the big one, Arkham Horror. We talked about it on our last episode. It's long, it's complicated, it's fun. You fight the minions of an elder god and various monsters in a small, creepy New England town. It essentially started as a spin-off from Call of Cthulhu. And a lot of the other major Lovecraftian board games are spin-offs of Arkham Horror. <laughs> Things like Elder Sign, which is Arkham Horror, but much quicker and sort of based on just drawing cards and rolling dice. I like Elder um, Sign. Elder Sign is an excellent choice if you don't want to spend three hours playing a game, but you still want to determine whether or not you go insane, you know, while investigating stuff. Uh, Eldritch Horror, 
which is Arkham Horror meets Pandemic. You travel the world visiting exotic locations and stopping an Elder God from awakening. Not just dealing with one town, but all the towns. We've got a we've got um, a lockdown now, for two weeks to flatten the Cthulhu curve. I mean, there is also like Pandemic Cthulhu, which does that. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, there is a Cthulhu version of Pandemic now. Uh, there's Mountains of Madness, which is one I want to try out at some point because it sounds really interesting. It's a party game-ish where it's an expedition to the South Pole. You have a fo- with a focus on communication and resource management. You have to uh, like recover a specimen and like bring it back to your base and then get it out of the South Pole. But players have increasingly disruptive madness that alters how they are allowed to communicate with the group as the game progresses. Bro, we've all seen the thing. We know how this movie ends. No, no, no. It's like each person has a card that describes what, how they can communicate as the game goes on. So someone might like no longer be able to communicate verbally or may have to like get up and pace around the table before they can talk. Interesting. Um, where it's, you know, about the, like, it's a more of a party game because it's about the communication between people than it is about like worker placement. Uh, Gates of Delirium, which is where you try to maintain your sanity and rack up points and favor before the apocalypse happens and the Elder Gods return. Um, It's a game where, like, your sanity is a mechanic, so you can flip between being sane and insane depending on the current state of the game. Please don't eat me. Here's all the work I did for you. Yes, I think that's the end goal. Uh, Cthulhu Death May Die is a sort of modular hack-and-slash dungeon-crawl board game. Uh, similar to something like Hero Quest, where you fight through a series of little sub-boards fighting cultists and the elder being that they are summoning. Um, yeah, sort of a dungeon-crawl cosmic horror game. I've heard of it. I haven't played uh, it. Evil, I haven't played it either. It sounds interesting. It's got lots of miniatures for it, so something that we might be interested in. Oh, wait, in. I think that's the one that has the absolutely gigantic Cthulhu miniature. Quite possible. Uh, Evil High Priest... Haven't heard of that one. ...is a worker placement game about summoning the Elder Gods. You are the evil priest. You need to manage your resources to be the first one to summon Cthulhu. Cool. I like it. Yes. Um, Unfathomable is about being on a ship as it is attacked by the Deep Ones and trying to survive. Uh, random uh, speed the goal is, the is simply that one. No, no, no. You have to survive a certain number of rounds or until daybreak or something and the, you know, the Deep Ones recede back into the ocean. But it has a traitor mechanic. One of the players has the Innsmouth look. <laughs> oh boy, getting into some um, physiognomy there. Yeah, a little bit. One of the players is secretly a Deep One or a Deep One hybrid or whatever. So, you know, traitor mechanic, 1920s on a ship fighting the stuff. It's more about the survival than it is about, like, defeating them. You just have to make it to the end of the game. Um, And then the last one is one that I think is really interesting. It's called Unspeakable Words. Uh, It's a game where you use a hand of cards to make words. And you get points based not on how long the word is, but how many angles are in each letter of the word. Interesting. Like, the letter A has more angles in it, and so that'll get you more points than the letter S, which has, you know, very few, because it's a 
like sling. That definitely um, feels Cthulhu-ish. And uh, after you play a word, you roll a d20 and you lose sanity if you get a result under the score of your word. Oh, no. So there's a push-your-luck thing where sometimes you might not want to build the crazy high-scoring word of ah. Uh, and it's first person to get the most points wins. It's an interesting way of playing with some of the more everyday elements of cosmic horror. Um, I think it's pro. I, I think I'm probably going to try and pick that one up at some point because it seems interesting and seems like more of a definitely a different take on cosmic horror and the like sanity loss mechanics that some games have had. I can dig it. Also, I think it's the only one of these that doesn't involve summoning or preventing the summoning of terrifying beings. Although, theoretically, I guess the idea is that the words with more angles let you summon the Hounds of Tindalos, <laughs> and that's what makes you go crazy. Because they come in through angles. The Hounds of Tindalos with eat. bees in their mouths. <laughs> with eldritch bees, <laughs> yes. And then we have the War Games. I've only got a couple of these. Uh, because there are fewer... It's hard to do horror war games yeah. in general. Um, things are less horrible. Well, things aren't less horrible when a war is going on. Things are generally more horrible when wars are happening. But it's hard to have, you know, a sense of horror and especially, like, meaningless horror and humanity doesn't make sense and the angles are wrong when you're running armies at each other. The true horror is war. The true monster was man all along. We, wait, we did that last episode. So the two war games are Octung Cthulhu, which is an alt-history, eldritch horror, World War II game published by Mophidius. It was originally an RPG and then developed into a skirmish war game to allow you to fight cultist Nazis, allied secret agents, Deep One Fishmen, and other sort of pulp horror um, Lovecraft elements. Um... I like it. I think the miniatures look pretty cool. I think the setting is reasonable enough. Um, Lovecrafty and World War II horror is kind of a sub-thing of all all of its own. And, you know, shooting Nazis Shoot your is always local Nazis in Minecraft. In yeah, I, I do like the miniatures for Auction Cthulhu. Um, just kind of like pulp World War II stuff in general, I'm a fan of. Um, I do remember they were really expensive, and so I never ended up getting any of them. Yeah, I think Mophidius has brought some of the costs down as they've gotten licenses and started making other stuff. They're the ones that make the Fallout miniatures game and the Skyrim miniatures game now. Uh, Octoon Cthulhu was sort of their starting point, their foot in the door. Uh, so now that they've got other licenses, they can bring their, the production costs down. Uh, their Eldritch Gateway. Yes, their Eldritch foot in the door. A foot into the doors of perception you might say. Uh, and the other one is Cthulhu Wars, which is a board game war game hybrid uh, with factions battling across the face of the earth for supremacy. Also, the factions are the Elder Gods, so your miniatures are like Cthulhu and his team of abominations from beyond time and space, or yogg Sogoth, and yeah, it's, it's giant monsters like rampaging across the earth fighting each other. Um... 
less cosmic horror and more horrors from the cosmos. But, you know, still Lovecraftian. Has Cthulhu it's like Monster Apocalypse, but with Cthulhu rumbling around. I mean, Cthulhu is essentially in Monster Apocalypse. This is also true. So that's the, like, Lovecraftian cosmic horror direct games. Let's talk about Lovecraft themes in other games. Because there's lots of that. In Dungeons & Dragons, for instance, there are plenty of cosmic horror elements that have been brought in over time. Um, the There's a whole class of monsters known as, you know, aberrations that are beings that exist from outside the universe or outside of what the natural order is. Things like mind flayers, things like aboliths and beholders. Um... Things like the Elder Gods that you can have as a patron if you're a warlock, you know? And uh, tomes of forbidden knowledge and such, you know, stuff like that. There's a whole lot of that element sort of in D&D as a background supporting element to the traditional fantasy that it has. In 40k and Warhammer Fantasy, there's the Warp and the Chaos Gods. Um... Your mind can be exposed to psychic phenomenon that causes you to just go insane and manifest tentacles, which is very Lovecraftian. Um, Sinch is the chaos god of, like, knowledge and secrecy and magic, and he's kind of a Lovecraftian god. Yeah, of all of them, I think Sinch is probably the most Lovecraftian. Yeah, the psychic powers and the knowledge that drives you mad is a classic Lovecraft trope. So... Sinch is the one that fits in with that most. Um, Korn and Nurgle don't really fit with Lovecraft's themes. Slanesh sort of does. Yeah. But I think that has more to do with just everyone loves a good tentacle. Yep. Sinch handles the forbidden Especially knowledge the and uh, uh, Slanesh is the tentacle department. Yep. That's, that's how that works. Um, Monster Apocalypse, like we mentioned, has a faction that is, you know, Lovecraft monsters. I mean, it also has a faction that is Godzilla's, and a faction that is King Kong, and a faction that is robots from space. So... It has everything. It, it's basically anything big enough to punch its way through a building. Um, the Lovecraftian monsters... You know, are a pretty standard element of most horror settings and most, like, horror games that try to have a wide array of things going on. Um, I was just thinking of one. Oh, I, you can even say that Alien, the film, uh, slash Aliens, the Xenomorph, is kind of Lovecraft-inspired a little bit. It is, you know, unknowably alien. It is, it has elements of the other, and it is a, you know, horror from time and space. It's just that people have determined that if it bleeds, we can kill it. So it's more about fighting back. I mean, you can kill the alien, but uh, more likely it's going to kill you in the process. Yeah, it's a survival horror rather than a cosmic horror. It just happens to take place using something that is closer to a cosmic horror monster than a traditional survival horror monster. Yeah, because it definitely has that idea of, like, the unknown and uncaring universe. 
Certainly. That is a core component of the Aliens franchise and the Aliens games and uh, settings. Along with un- uncaring and unknowable megacorporations. Yes, even more important. Um, what other games have Lovecraftian elements? Uh, nothing that I'm really seeing on my shelf here. Oh, I guess a weird in a weird way, Rangers of Shadow Deep. Yeah, I could has a little bit of that. I could buy that with with the Shadow Deep itself, the like uh, spreading darkness that is covering the world. Uh, it's really supposed to be more of a like Tolkien esque darkness, where it's you know the armies of the Dark Lord, except it's unknown, it's mysterious. Um. And so there is an element of this sort of horror at what is going on beyond the beyond the realm of civilization, and sort of strangeness there. Um, it doesn't really get into cosmic into proper cosmic horror because it's a fantasy setting, and you're not dealing with elder horrors that man was not meant to know for the most part. But there is a little bit of it there, and there are plenty of, like, fan-made things where you have to stop a summoning or something like that that, you know, would open a portal to a terrifying tentacle world. I feel like any game that has, like, cultists or anything like that, you can easily shoehorn a Cthulhu theme into it. Yes, this is also true. Like, we had talked earlier about Zona Alpha having, like, radiation cthulhu cultists yeah and those can be thrown in um i mean remember that cosmic horror is about the unknowing uncare uncaring cruel universe you don't actually have to have a giant bat winged squid face monster you can have simply like enigmatic alien ruins that don't follow the laws of the known universe uh you can have um, all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't require specifically cultists trying to summon a beings from beyond the stars. It can be that the stars themselves are cold and uncaring. I mean, um, when you think about yeah. it, radiation is the hot and uncaring universe. There's a actually really interesting uh thing i've seen it's saying how the sun is basically a lovecraftian monster i'll buy it um it's uncaring it's incredibly powerful staring at it blinds you um it can burn your skin if you stand for it in too long and if there's no atmosphere it would make a noise like um oh yeah <laughs> louder than it would sound like a jackhammer if if there was an atmosphere all the way to it you would be able to hear yeah, it yeah i think uh uh, there was something I watched where they did like an actual calculation and it was akin to like being within 50 feet of a diesel engine horn going off like constantly. Yeah. So this, yeah. So the sun is a essentially, and it doesn't care about you. The sun is basically a Lovecraftian deity. And people at different points worshiped it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't summon it to Earth. No, thank you. 
I mean, technically, that's what nuclear weapons do, so, um, huh. Hmm. Huh. Nuclear Thulu. Nuke Thulu, yes. He's even more eldritch than we thought. But less tentacles, oddly enough. <laughs> Unless you're talking about, like, uh, plasma leaders from lightning. Yeah, let's not let's not go into physics. Now, that's a cruel and uncaring universe. Yes, it is. Um... So that's Cosmic Horror and Tabletop Games. I'm sure we missed some. Uh, if you want us to talk about something specific, send us a message on Twitter or leave a note or comment. Uh, we're summon, have a segment on summon this. an eldritch god yeah. to deliver the message. Yeah, uh, summon a scroll using the Necronomicon and build a, you know, and send a hound of Tindalos with the note wrapped around it. Um. So we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, and today we're talking about Terraforming Mars. The board game, not the process of Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars is, I would call it a hard sci-fi board game, where you take the role of an organization, a corporation specifically, that is attempting to terraform Mars. Each player is a different corporation and you compete to see who gets the most benefit uh, who makes the most in terms of like influence and money as they terraform the planet and essentially has the most say in what happens to mars once it becomes inhabitable uh, you mean who can be the best exploiter got it yes but you're exploiting in order to have a planet at the end of it that's what the, all the corporations say yes it is um so you essentially you play different cards that are, that are projects or tasks that are completed, ranging from uh, dropping a comet onto the planet to give more water to genetically engineering algae that'll you know, release carbon dioxide and warm it up to um, building new settlements or bringing in pets to keep the humans happy. You know, various things like that. Uh, the game takes place over a series of generations, which is why I think it's falls more into the hard sci-fi because the time frame for it is not years but entire generations of colonists um, cool. each turn is a new generation um and it's competitive in that you're all trying to do this but it's also co-op because as you do things it builds upon itself as you increase the temperature more water becomes available as you increase the um atmosphere level certain projects can now be played uh as when certain things events happen everybody gains bonuses from from it um so it's a very it's a very complicated like engine building ish game because you can build your own mechanical engine and you can play cards um it's good there is a like online pass and play version there's a tabletop simulator version it's fun in person. There are four or five expansions for it. Uh, probably more than that. There's a some that take you to other places on Mo like in the solar system. There's some that add more things to do on Mars. There, I have the Preludes one, which essentially gives you some like starting technologies and makes the game a little bit faster in the early stages. Um, I really enjoy it. But it is a game that requires people to sit down and think about what they're doing. It's not a quick party game. Um, it is a game of strategy and planning. 
I used to be very, very gung-ho and all-in on games that take a lot of time and a lot of effort to play. Not so much anymore, but I'm still probably on board for Terraforming Mars. Yeah, that's the, the upside of it is that once it gets going, it plays out fairly quickly. Um, turns don't have to be super long because each player's turn is that they can do two actions and then they pass to the next player who does two things and then passes and then it just it repeats until everyone has is done with their hand of cards at the moment. And then the round ends and the next and like you have the end of phase like accounting section and then the next generation happens. So you're not sitting there for too long trying to like plan 12 different things to happen simultaneously. You only get to do two at a time. Bro, don't don't make me start the countdown timer. Yeah. Uh, it, it works pretty well to keep the game moving. Although it can still be annoying if you have, like, six players. Keep I think this, the game moving. I think the sweet spot is three to five, personally. Although I mean, it, honestly, it, three to five is a good for any game. Yeah, it can actually be played very well with just two players. And it has some stuff to do, like, a solo mode, where you have an AI corporation that, you're deal that, you, have, that you compete with. So, yeah, I highly recommend Terraforming Mars if you want a very in-depth, sort of hard science fiction look at terraforming a planet. Um, it's also kind of funny because it uses some slightly janky art assets, uh, including, uh -huh. like, staged photos of the designer and his friends as they're, like, pretending to be mission control for stuff or pretending to be scientists. Um... I mean, it's whatever you can silly. do to, to save some money. Yeah, it's a little silly, but it, I like it. Um, so yeah, Terraforming Mars. Highly recommend. Play it. Play Terraforming Mars. Terraform Mars for real. Do it now. Do it before Elon Musk yeah, does gotta, it. Yeah, gotta beat out Elon Musk. Um, or we just send him there and then terraform it later. <laughs> So that's our podcast. As always, you can like, subscribe, etc. We've been Noel Country. You can find us on Twitter at Noel Country, Instagram, Noel Country. Uh, you can support Ukraine. You can give to charities that are cool. You can uh, join unions. You can do all the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Oh, uh, you can donate to your reproductive justice funds and your uh, local queer charities. Go ahead and do that. Uh, you can follow me at Anna Madness. I'll have my uh space dwarves up here as they're officially done as is this podcast is also done end statement go Knowles. go Knowles. <laughs>